Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know how some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. <laughs> Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better cost less than you think. Today is Wednesday, December 29, 2021, coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Longtime U.S. Senate Majority Leader Democrat Harry Reid has passed away at the age of 82. We will talk about his lasting legacy, uh, especially when it came to some of the most signature issues uh, of President Barack Obama's tenure. Also on today's show, COVID cases are rising. We're seeing a spike in daily numbers. And the CDC director went on a morning news program to say today's decision, the decision to cut isolation days was, was, not, was not solely based on science. Really? Okay. We'll talk to a microbiologist about that decision. Also, uh, a Rhode Island lawmaker posted a tweet about how she had a black friend, but she don't, doesn't know why she lost her black friend. Well, that black friend is a fellow lawmaker. We'll talk with her right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Also, a 13-year-old Florida boy riding a dirt bike dies after an attempted traffic stop. Now his family wants to know why police decided to chase the kid and ended up in his death. Also, attorney Ben Krupp has represented the family of a 14-year-old girl who was shot and killed in a Burlington store in a dressing room while they were pursuing another suspect. Also, Indiana teen says he's been subjected to racial abuse from his classmates, was offered counseling, the school administration. That's it. That's it. And also the latest announcements from Stacey Abrams. Folks, it is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's going. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. Entertainment just for kicks. He's rolling. Yeah, yeah. It's rolling, Martin. Yeah, yeah. Rolling with rolling now. 
Folks, we've shattered another daily COVID record. The two highly infectious variants of the virus, the Delta and the Omicron, are causing a massive surge. The CDC recorded 441,278 infections on Tuesday. as almost 150,000 more than last year's winter high. The CDC noted that the number might be misleading as it could include a backlog of cases due to the Christmas holiday. Now, total number of COVID cases since this whole international pandemic began, 54,249,128, resulting in 842,714 deaths. Now, according to Johns Hopkins University, uh, D.C. now has the highest rate of infections in the country with an average of 1,192 new COVID cases per day over the past week. Now, D.C. does have an 85% vaccination rate and 50% of those new cases are people ages 20 to 49. Mayor Muriel Bowser, the state of emergency is still in effect with mask and vaccine mandates. Now, again, uh, the CDC announced uh, earlier this week about the changing of the number of isolation days from 10 to 5 has caused great confusion. Here's the CDC director, Rochelle Walensky, on the morning shows talking about that decision. Dr. Walensky, thank you for being here with us this morning. And I want to start with the change in the CDC guidance that cuts the isolation period in half if you're asymptomatic. So how did the CDC settle on five days for everyone? Good morning, Caitlin. Thanks for having me. So we looked at several areas of science here. First, the science of how much transmission happens in the period of time um, after you're infected. We know that the most amount of transmission occurs in those one to two days before you develop symptoms, those two to three days after you develop symptoms. And if you map that out, those five days account for somewhere between 85 to 90% of all transmission that occurs. So we really wanted to make sure that during those first five days, you were spent in isolation. That's when most of it occurs. And then there is, of course, this tail end, um, a period of time in those last five days, which were, which were we're asking you to mask. But the other things that we were looking at is the epidemiology here. We are seeing and expecting even more cases of this Omicron variant. Many of those cases are mildly symptomatic, if not asymptomatic, and especially among those who are vaccinated and unvaccinated. And then finally, the behavioral science. What will people actually do when people need to get back to work? What is it that they will actually do? And if we can get them to isolate, we do want to make sure that they're isolating in those first five days when they're maximally infectious. So from what you're saying, it sounds like this decision had just as much to do with business as it did with the science. Well, so I, it really had a lot to do with what um, we thought people would be able to tolerate. We have seen relatively low rates of isolation um, for all of this pandemic. Some science has demonstrated less than a third of people are isolating when they need to. And so we really want to make sure that we had guidance in this moment where we were going to have a lot of disease that could be adhered to, that people were willing to adhere to, and that spoke um, spe specifically to when people were maximally infectious. So it really um, spoke to both behaviors as well as what people were able to do. Well, so then I guess the question, if this is based on science that you already had at the CDC, why didn't you make this change sooner than this week? Well, so our guidance was conservative before. It has said 10 days of isolation, but in the context of the fact that we were going to have so many more cases, many of those would be asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic. People would feel well enough to be at work. They would not necessarily tolerate being home and that they may not comply with being home. It would, this was the moment that we needed to make that decision and those changes. 
Um, if you are confused, uh, so am I. Joining us right now is Dr. Uh, Christy McDowell, CEO and founder of Baby Scientist Inc. Uh, she is uh, out of Woodbridge, Virginia. Uh, glad to have you on the show. You're a microbiologist. Can, do, do you understand the, the rationale from the CDC? To be honest, I don't. Not at all. Not at all. And I think this is one of the uh, first mistakes that they've made uh, of a few. You know, I, I don't think this guidance should have been released um, to the vast majority uh, to the public. You know, if they wanted to reduce, you know, the days um, for isolation, then they should have just submitted that to the states and the, the local counties and, and let them handle it from there because it's just breeding more confusion uh, to everyone. You know, they, they don't understand that the lay person does not understand how science works on a daily basis and the, the gathering of data and, 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 and the execution of it. And so it just, it just, it just causes more confusion to the everyday person. And I understand, you know, what they're saying. However, she did not clarify between vaccinated and unvaccinated. And as we know, people who are vaccinated can recover faster than those who are not. So, you know, a vaccinated person may be okay in five days, but an unvaccinated individual may not. They will still be possibly uh, spreading the virus. And, and then she goes on to say, you know, after those five days, wear masks. We're already supposed to be wearing masks. You know, so it's just, it's just confusing and and it's something that they should have just kept in house and it, it was unnecessary you know because you know in, in every statistic you have an error you know a plus or minus and we and we need a plus or minus for knuckleheads because with the 10 days as she said herself a lot of people are not following that so just think if they weren't following the 10 they were probably doing five so now they say five now they probably do one or two so it's just putting us more at risk especially when numbers are going up infections are high it's not a time to get lax it's a time to get more strict with the guidelines. And I, I just disagree with this uh, release of this guidance. I mean, it's a perfect example. So uh, I came out of COVID isolation on Sunday. I was in uh, for 10 days after my symptoms first showed up. I had I had uh, someone in my office uh, tested positive for COVID. So what, of course, the folks who were in the office, they were all uh, exposed. Uh, we then isolated the entire office, shut the office down, went completely virtual. We're still virtual. We're virtual last week. We're virtual this week. Now, uh, I've tested negative uh, for COVID. Uh, don't uh, don't have it. Have the home kit. Uh, yet, uh, I still have stuffy nose, still have some congestion. We're still in isolation this week. Uh, and it didn't make any sense for us to come back this week. So I said, fine, we'll be back in person on Monday, November, uh, January 3rd. Now, I had the luxury of doing that. But it's also smart business uh, because uh, you don't want uh, your folks to get sick. You take the precautions. And so I just don't understand going from 10 to 5. And to be perfectly honest, this also dovetails with the Delta CEO asking the CDC to cut it from 10 to 5 days because they fear worker shortages. Well, not, not, now we're in a situation where people are like, well, what, what, what the hell do we do? Right, right, exactly. And and I, I think that um, it was the... The pressure from the, the 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 powers that be that made them uh, push this forward, which which I'm disappointed in because you know all along we've been putting health first because we are trying to get rid of and get out of this pandemic, but this time they did not put health first. They put finances and money first, which is always dangerous. And I I just don't understand why they why they made that turn this uh, at at this jet juncture in in this infection and 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 what you're doing with your um office is is the 
the best thing to do. And they and she's uh, emphasizing allowing people to go back to work. You want to go people to go back to work who possibly can still transmit the virus? That's not good. You know, and 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 as we know, everyone doesn't keep their mask up 100% of the time when they're around people. People get lax, they get comfortable, and they pull the mask down. And and you just don't want that to happen and you think that you're helping the industry, but you're not because it's still going to get people infected and then other people are going to call out and and it's still going to be an issue with, you know, the capacity of people at work. I mean, the NBA, for example, you know, they're all wearing masks. The majority, 95% of them are vaccinated. But every day we're seeing uh, players into the COVID protocol, you know, two, three, four, five players per team. And so that just goes to show that this is still an infectious, transmissible disease that needs to be, oh, everyone needs to be overly cautious in, in, in home, at work, and, and at play. And, and I just don't understand this. And I just hate that they cave to the um to the capitalistic society, you know, uh, of people wanting want, want, wanting to make money, and and it's and, and it's sad, you know, when we are in um, dire situation right now with numbers going up, hospitals being overrun with infections, and um, it's just it's just a bad move. And here's the problem with caving: now you can't make the argument follow the science because you didn't follow the science here. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Exactly. And 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 so it it you know it just gives those who have uh, disbelief and don't believe in the CDC and the government and what they're doing. It just gives them another notch in their belt, a strong notch to say, hey, they don't know what they're talking about because now you can't go back. You know, there's no going back after saying this. And so it just gives those who do their own research. Uh, you know, the Aaron Rodgers of the world who think they know more than the scientists and the other people, you know, who think they know more than the scientists you know, to, to just to say, hey, we're, we're going to do what we want to do because they're always changing. And and the thing that people must understand is that the, the government and the CDC is, is constantly changing because the science is changing, because the virus is changing. No one can predict when a virus is going to mutate and when something like this is going to happen. So, of course, there has to be change. And we people need to understand that, you know, that that, that the government cannot predict when a virus mutate and when it will be more infectious and when it will not. And, and so they have to, you know, give give them some leeway there. But with this move, I, I just think it's, it's a bad move and it doesn't look good for them. All right, then, uh, Dr. Uh, Christian McDowell, we surely appreciate it. Look, I'm, I, I'm just going to tell people, uh, look, stick with the 10 days, forget that five day crap, uh, get hoax. I can tell you right now, um, I was not I was not ready to come out of isolation five days uh, yeah. after the con and again, that's five days after your symptoms. So right. here's the problem. Here's the problem. I, my first symptom was on a Wednesday. We went to celebration bowl in Atlanta. I tested negative on Thursday. Okay. Which was actually Thursday was day one. And then Friday's day two, Saturday's day three, I test positive. Then you have day four and then day five. Well, day five was Monday. I went in isolation, uh, on uh Sunday. I was still contagious on Monday yep. after five right. days. And yeah. so it would have been idiotic for me uh, to be yes. out and about because uh, my, my fifth day after symptoms was just two days after testing positive. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's and that's with most people. Well, and what you experience is what most people are going to experience. And you're vaccinated. Just imagine yeah. the person who's unvaccinated and how much more infectious they will be to the people around them, whereas a regular little cloth mask will not protect others around them. And, and so that's why that's why it's and, and who and who, who can who can accurately count the days, you know, 
oh, I'm infectious now, I'm not infectious. People don't know because you really don't know because you don't want to say you think you have COVID. And so you're not going to necessarily, you know, pinpoint the actual day in which, oh, I need, you know, I'm infectious or I'm not infectious. Let me go into isolation, blah, blah, blah. Where so during that time, you are infectious to people around you. And so that five days is just, it's reckless. It's reckless and, it, and it's not good. It's and not last, good. La last point. Uh, forget those cloth masks. You got to have the N95 or the KN95 mask. You got to have masks with filters uh, because, again, we, we know why people were saying go to the cloth mask last year when there was a shortage. You got to go to the filtered mask now. I totally agree. I was online buying my N95s and KN95s today. So buying buy more of them. So I advise everyone to do the same because this virus is is it's not for play play. You know, it's not for play play. And uh, I know so many people who have who are very cautious, who've gotten infected. And um, and so I just advise everyone to take precautions, get the correct mask, stay, um, you know, socially distanced, wash your hands, use hand sanitizer and be careful. You know, above all, be careful and be safe. All right. Doctor, appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Oh, thank you. All right. Uh, Robert Patillo uh, and uh, uh, Scott Bolden join me right now. Uh, and gents, uh, look, confusion from the CDC. This is the last thing we need right now. You need to be straightforward with the communications and not just have just sort of this craziness. Robert, you're there in Atlanta. Uh, so the CDC needs to deal with this problem. It, look, Roland, I'm, I'm not saying we're doomed, uh, but it's definitely starting to feel like we're doomed. Uh, because remember, <laughs> Joe Biden ran on a platform of bringing competence, of saying that we will follow the science, we will do what will be best interest of the American people. We'll be getting away from the Trumpian uh, uh, aspect of doing what business and what popular opinion, taking mm -hmm. a Twitter poll to determine uh, what the national policy was. They started making missteps from the beginning. The minute that they said that unvaccinated people could take off their mask and go about their regular lives, which was way premature, if you remember when they did it, every single person in the country that decided it was Freaknik, and they were about to go out there and just get it on like they wanted to do. And we saw the immediate Delta spike thereafter. Now, with this guidance that they're putting out, look, you were just in Atlanta. Everybody in Atlanta has COVID right now. If you're in Atlanta, you don't have COVID, you have COVID. Trust me, everybody got it. Omicron is running wild down there because everyone is just acting as if there are no protocols. So when you put this misinformation out there, when you have conflicting messaging, when you, uh, when you don't have clear and concise leadership, and you don't have one voice speaking for the next what you end up with is people just saying, look, the CDC is making this stuff up as they go along. They're not following the science. So why do I even need to care, care about it? They're saying the symptoms are mild anyway. So I might well just get it and be done with it and go on with my life. And that's the prevailing opinion among many of the American population. And that's why we're seeing the peach drop, the New Year's Eve celebration here at Atlanta getting canceled. We're seeing, I think, 541 players have been used in the NBA this season, more than any other season in NBA history. And it is December. So this is not going anywhere anytime soon. If the Biden administration can't get a grip on this, they can say goodbye to the midterm elections, let alone 2024, because if you run on competence and you can't be competent, then what the hell do we have you there for? Uh, and, and, uh, Scott, go ahead. Well, wait a minute now. What What's the Biden administration to do with a country whose First Amendment is more stronger with half of the country than, than the science? Easy, easy, you stick with the science. Exactly. But if you can't get the other half of those anti-vaxxers- You don't worry, no, no, you don't worry about that. You're right, you don't worry about that, but you can't get to herd immunity without that ha other half 
or a substantial number of that. Yeah, happens. but yeah, but what you don't, but what you don't do is cut the days from ten to five and send infected people out in general population. You don't. No, I, I agree with you there wholeheartedly. I think you ought to stick with the ten. But 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 the most important part of what your guest said, I think, is what what we really need to be focusing on. When the CDC comes out with these inconsistent guidelines, whether it's based on business or commerce or based on their, their ignorance, they feed into that narrative of the anti-vaxxers, if you will. And by the way, you can get COVID once, you can get COVID twice. I know someone who got COVID twice and still hadn't been vaccinated. We all know people have been vaccinated and boosted, rolling, and have gotten it. The other part of this Yeah, issue, well, I'm, I'm not boosted yet. I'm vaccinated. I was supposed to get my boost boost actually yesterday. Uh, okay. So now, now because I got the uh, the uh, antibodies infusion, I can't get boosted for ninety days. Go ahead. But here's the other thing, though. What about the false uh, negatives that are prevalent too with the either the uh, the the efficient uh, testing where you wait fifteen minutes, or even the long term testing that takes place? Erica, my wife, got a false negative, changed her whole travel schedule, changed her whole where she was living because she couldn't, she went into quarantine. And yet two or three days later, she tested two more times and it was negative after she got a positive two or three days before and had zero symptoms and had certainly been um, vaccinated. My, my point in all of this is, is that I don't think we know what we know or don't know. And that I think that essentially the herd immunity piece is so important because this is this is going to be COVID is going to be something I think we're just going to have to live with on an ongoing basis. There's not going to be about shutting down or not. It's going to be about back, being vaccinated and boosted uh, every year, if you will, and just living with the limited symptoms that look and sound like uh, the cold or the flu and that the reporting on this is just really going to be like the flu season more than anything, because I don't think anyone can get a grip on what the science is long term on uh, COVID-19 and its uh, mutations. But Scott, that's, that's my point, though, that if we're saying that the CDC don't know what the hell they're talking about, the FDA don't know what they're talking about, uh, Fauci doesn't know what he's talking about, the president doesn't know what he's talking about, then why wasn't Kyrie Irving right the whole time? Why well, wasn't Aaron Rodgers right the whole time? They're pretty, much saying the same, they're pretty much saying the same thing that they are, which is these people have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. So why are we uh, why are we doing any of these protocols and stuff? Just open well, everything back up. But and why get back are you to blaming it, them the for that? Did well, again, again, no, he, he, no because he's he's blaming. No, 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 Scott, Scott, he's blaming them because when you give conflicting information, then you actually muddy the waters. What you need is you need the folks who are the scientists to be consistent. That's mm -hmm. what you need, and so that's what the problem is. All right, gentlemen, hold tight one second. Got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, <clears throat> Twitter uh, has been laughing hilariously after uh, a white Rhode Island lawmaker tweeted out how. She used to have a black friend, but she doesn't know now. She doesn't know why her black friend is no longer a friend. <laughs> well, that black friend tweeted who she is, and she's next right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
Folks, Black Star Network is peace. I'm real um, revolutionary right now. <laughs> Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. I love y'all. All momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. folks so um uh we were all uh, quite amused when we saw this tweet on yesterday from a patricia morgan she tweeted i had a black friend i liked her and i think she liked me too but now she is hostile and unpleasant and i am sure i didn't do anything to her except be white is that what teachers, teachers and our political leaders really want for our society? Divide us because of our skin color. Hashtag CRT for critical race theory. Well, after a couple of hours, we saw this tweet. LOL, it me. I'm the black friend. Tiara Mack, uh, who is a lawmaker in Rhode Island. She joins us now on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, Tierra, uh, you may have been, uh, you, you were watching that. You probably were like, uh, what's that segment? We have a segment called crazy as white people. Uh, and the segment usually is for the white folks who are accosting black people who just, just trying to deliver packages, trying to sell lemonade, trying to barbecue. Uh, but it certainly was fitting for, for this one here. People, I mean, you see with that, that those numbers there, uh, how many people responded to that. So what was your reaction when you saw Patricia Morgan's tweet about, I had a black friend, now I don't. I know for a fact <laughs> that Patricia Morgan does not have any black friends. Um, just last week, uh, Patricia Morgan and I are uh, colleagues in the Rhode Island State House. I am 28 years old, I am black, I am queer. And uh, last week I had tweeted uh, that I would not be restarting my student loan payments um, shortly before President Biden um, extended the um, deferment of student loan payments until May of next year. Um, and she retweeted me saying that I was arrogant and disgusting. Um, and this is a colleague that I have not had the pleasure of meeting in the Rhode Island State House yet, but um, I do know that she is one of our more colorful colleagues known for her um, 
white supremacist ideas, including anti-immigrant sentiments, anti-refugee sentiments, anti-black sentiments, anti-LGBTQ sentiments. Um, and so having had just had this interaction with her as a black woman last week, um, I thought it would be funny to say that I was the black friend, knowing full and well that um, because of who uh, Rep. Patricia Morgan is um, and the ideas that she holds, that no black person is claiming her as a friend. <laughs> the, the thing that uh, she also uh, apparently has sponsored uh, a critical race theory bill. Yes, um, she has sponsored many pieces of harmful legislation in Rhode Island um, to the point where many members of our of the Rhode Island GOP do not claim her and have also um, been seen to distance themselves from her, especially with this tweet. Um, she was, I think, hoping to activate her base or sensationalize um, anti-CRT uh, legislation. Um, but as we can see, that really uh, blew up back in her face. And as someone who has been the target of many local Rhode Island um, attacks from white supremacist trolls. Um, it's a little, um, it's a little funny to see it kind of going back in her face because did she deserve it? Yes, she did. Um, especially when the day before my birthday, she fixed her fingers to type that I was arrogant and disgusting on Twitter. So I think this is a wake up call to folks that uh, Black Twitter will always come through for its homies. Uh, the, the thing that also uh, is is just curious. Not only that. I had a black friend. Okay, now look, you know, I, I know, uh, I know uh, Jeffrey Osborne, I know my, uh, Claudia Jordan. Uh, I'm always messing with them about the few number of black people in Rhode Island. They're natives of Rhode Island. Uh, but my goodness, uh, uh, you know, when she's, I had a black friend, uh, clearly gave the impression she'll know nobody else black. Yeah, um, I mean, Rhode Island does have some black people, like. We, we are here. I, I'm here. I'm not a native Rhode Islander. I am from, um, I grew up in Atlanta and in South Carolina. I'm a transplant, but uh, there we got some. How, how you get to Rhode Island? You left, um, you, you, left the, you left the black Mecca for Rhode Island? Yes. Well, I, I came up here to go to Brown University. Um, so yes, I did leave the black Mecca to come up to Rhode Island and it's been giving me a headache since, but um, I do love Rhode Island and I think it has a lot to offer. Um, and we have some really great, aside from what you see, um, um, Rep. Patricia Morgan putting into the world. Rhode Island does have some really great progressive politicians and some really great work happening out of this like small but mighty state. Look, we're seeing a whole bunch of crazy ass white people across this we country. Sure what I, and what I mean by that is, look, I got a book coming out in the first quarter of next year called White Fear, uh, how uh, the changing face of America is driving what making white folks lose their minds. Uh, we're <laughs> seeing we're seeing an Oklahoma legislator legislator put forth a bill that if one parent objects to a book in a library, it has to be removed. And if the librarian doesn't, they can't work for a school district for two or three years. I mean, these people are. I mean, and I keep I, and I, I've been warning people to understand what's going on here, and mm -hmm. it is the emerging majority. It is the Browning of America that is driving them crazy, and this desire to maintain control, and that is continuing to define America through the prism of whiteness. Yeah, white supremacy is rampant. White supremacy is rampant in our states. And I think it is up to each and every one of us to call it out um, and to acknowledge that we cannot let these systems be the truth or the things that are 
um, leading our communities and the the ideas that really are shining through louder than anything else. Like being the only queer black woman in the Rhode Island legislature is hard as hell. Um, and every day I, up until today, the most I had gotten um, on Twitter was uh, white supremacist trolls who were telling me every day that I'm a black supremacist, that I'm a racist, that I'm disgusting, that um, because I'm a queer person and I believe in comprehensive sexual health education, um, that um, I am a pedophile and that I'm disgusting and all of these things that are just crazy and not true. Um, but I get that on a daily basis as a young queer black woman who's just trying to do the best for her communities, who is just trying to use her identities and her experiences as a formerly low income black person from the South and to have policies that make sense for everyday people. And I get called all these names and I can wipe it off and ignore it, but they, they are really threatened by how much um, blackness, brownness, and the oppressed communities in our um, in our states are really pushing back and saying, "Nah, no more, y'all." Like it's 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 time. It's over. Like I'm tired. I am 28 years old. I want to be retired by like 50 because y'all got me working way too hard for this nonsense that um, I willingly do do. But um, I think it is definitely um, a testament to how tired we all are and how much nonsense we're no longer gonna take. Like this tweet this was the tweet here you were talking about you sent five days ago i won't be restarting payments uh please drop the lower third please um keenan please drop the, thank you very much i won't be restarting payments and then she said the arrogance is stunning and disgusting but he, here's what here's what i find to be interesting here uh uh Rep representative mac um it's a whole bunch of uh banks that did not repay money uh in fact we forgave nearly 600 billion uh, PPP loans. Um, and, and so it's, it's so I'm just trying to understand. She called it arrogant uh, because we have $1.36 trillion worth of, Keenan, you can go to no, Representative Mac. Uh, we got $1.36 trillion in student loan debt in this country. And mm -hmm. you tweet that and she calls that arrogant. But I guarantee you, we probably could go through the books of Rhode Island to see where they likely forgave uh, money that was given to various companies in that state. I'm sure there are tax breaks that have gone to companies in Rhode Island and other states. And I don't recall, recall that being called arrogant and stunning as well. So it's amazing. It's amazing how one person wants to define something as being arrogant and stunning, but what they, they, they call something else uh, American investment. Yeah, I mean, as a as a black person, I've been black my whole life. I will be black the rest of my life. Um, it is it is not shocking to me that someone would see an educated uh, black woman who went to one of the top universities in our country, Brown University, um, has an Ivy League degree and is a young, accomplished official who is really just trying to do best for communities that don't look like the majority of communities that are served in our state house. That they are threatened by that. It is a threat to see someone. Um, defy all odds and go against this notion of what success looks like. Because for folks like Patricia Morgan, success looks like whiteness. It looks like um, upholding the systems that oppress others so that you can get ahead. And seeing that I'm not down for that and that I am really trying to center the voices of the most oppressed is a threat to um, to white people and to white supremacists. Um, so we, um, we need everyone in our communities. We need more young elected black officials. We need more young folks in office. We need more folks of varying different identities in office um, because we cannot just have communities that are run by out of touch 
older white folks that are not ready to face the realities that we, it's it's a new world and we need every single person to make each and every one of our states better. Um, and things like anti-CRT legislation just ain't it anymore. Um, I'm, I know Robert and uh, Scott have been uh, chomping at the bit to be a part of this conversation. Uh, Scott, I'll start with you. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a fascinating discussion, but to me, the most most fascinating part is that you've never met this uh, white legislature who or legislator. Uh, is that actually true? And you've had this dialogue, and she's one of your 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 colleagues. Yes, uh, we have never had the pleasure of meeting in the Rhode Island State House um, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and she is in the lower chamber. She's in the House of Representatives and I am in the upper chamber of the uh, Rhode Island uh -huh. State Senate. So we do not collaborate with someone who is um, on a very different uh, side of the spectrum. Um, I do not plan on doing uh, much work with someone like her. <laughs> Good luck with building that relationship. <laughs> Robert. Uh, so uh, during, while you were speaking, I had to look up some Rhode Island facts because I realized I know nothing about Rhode Island outside of Family Guy, uh, which is set in Quahog. But but so there's only 78,000 black folks in Rhode Island. Why is he so afraid of critical race theory somehow polluting and making uh, schools in Rhode Island too black? You know, what, what exactly is motivating this fear among the, the white conservatives there? Well, I I wish I could tell you, I, I don't really know. Um, it, it's a whole bunch of white nonsense, as you can see, and it just continues to be um, white nonsense with no answers and fear. But Rhode Island, it, we, we got really great food, restaurant capital of the world, um, some of the best universities that are here, and we have a state coral. That's not a fun fact, we just got a state coral. You know you can come back to Atlanta, right? Like we, we got space. You can come back. Like you, you don't have to deal with all that. Like there were more black folks at the celebration well, bowl last week. Yeah, the way that these rent prices are looking up in Rhode Island, I might be moving back sooner than it looks like because we do not. Yeah, yeah, come, come, come back home. Come back. We got you. Come on back. Oh, uh, you got to stay there for the fight. We need black. No, why? Fight. No, we come on. You got enough black people in Atlanta, man. We need her there. Okay, <laughs> to carry on the fight. Well, God bless you. You fight the good old fight. Rhode yeah, well, I like to see Atlanta fighting for me. <laughs> I will come well, back. Uh, you know, once these rates are looking a little different, I might come back. But Atlanta's kind of popping off right now, so I'm I'm not really. Well, Rhode Island's not doing any better. We got some of the worst rates in the nation right now. Um, actually, Rhode uh -huh. Island has been number one in COVID rates um, almost the entirety of this pandemic. And we make national headlines because Rhode Island also cannot get its uh, shit together when it comes to COVID. Well, well God bless you for fighting a good fight. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, well, I will say this. Uh, every year that Jeffrey Osborne has his golf tournament, uh, we dramatically increase the black population of Rhode Island um, <laughs> with all the brothers and sisters who comes in to play golf. Uh, Jeffrey has assured me that his tournament is returning in 2022. Uh, and so uh, let, let me let me go ahead uh, and extend the invitation to you now. Uh, so if you look at if you're looking for a, fa a family reunion type get together, uh, come to the golf tournament It's normally in late July and August. Okay. Uh, and, in and in fact, you can invite Patricia on out if she want to see some more black people. Uh, and uh, I'm quite, I'm quite sure uh, we can, we can educate her on what blackness is uh, since uh, she's uh, so sad that she lost her 
her uh, her a black friend uh in you i don't think y'all um but I, yeah y'all consider it fight if you want to but i'll leave that to y'all i did the follow-up question does she think that her black friend like ran away or escaped because usually when they ran away they went north she's already north so can somebody inform her of that <laughs> you know we is free now. We, it's okay. Nah, we can nah, leave she, we want to. She, she might want Tiara to go to Canada. She want to go further north. Hey, Ooh, Rolling, it's too cold to for me. I'm already as cold as it can be in Rhode Island. Like I don't know if I can go any further north, y'all. What did Tiara? What is your when you do get back in person or even by Zoom? You're gonna meet and see this person for the first time. Tell me about that conversation or what you anticipate that conversation to be, if any. Uh, probably awkward for her, but for me as an unapologetically young black queer woman, mm -hmm. I have, I do not have a mind, uh, to placate these white folks who will say anything and everything, um, online, behind your backs, but never to your mm -hmm. face. Um, and yeah. as an unapologetically young black queer person who's already had it is already done with these systems that have continuously disrespected me and folks who look like me. Um, it, it will, it won't phase me none to continue to tell her who she is and who I am. Um, if that hurts her feelings, then I, this maybe isn't the work for you, baby girl. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Again, thank you for being there. Last question for you. How many other black people are in the legislature there in Rhode Island? So in, um, that's a that's a good question. Um, so in the, in the Rhode Island Senate chamber, I am the only woman that identifies as black. We do have. Um, sorry, sorry, sorry. You're in the Senate. My my apologies. Earlier, I called you a representative. So you're a senator. You're a state yes. senator. Go ahead. So you're the only black state senator. Yes, the only black state senator in the Rhode Island Senate, and on the um, House of in the House, we have maybe uh, uh, folks who identify as black, I think we have about five. Total, we have 21 black and brown folks um, who identify mostly as Latinx um, and some folks who are biracial. Um, but I am um, one of two or three uh, black women. All right then. Uh, well, Senator Max, um, uh, glad to have you on the show to talk about being the former black friend uh, of uh, of Pat uh, again, folks have uh, folks have really been uh, going in. In fact, uh, Michael Harriet. I don't know if you saw this. Um, let me see if I can pull it up. Uh, Michael Harriet started um, a, a hashtag here. Uh, wait a minute. Well, where's the hashtag? Yeah, let me, let me switch to it right here. He started this uh, hashtag. Hashtag. I had a white friend, uh, and so folks have been uh, commenting. You, you giving all, all their different uh, examples of uh, hashtag I had a white friend. So uh, folks have been, yeah, but yeah, black Twitter has been having a field day with this. And so um, we appreciate you coming on the show uh, yeah. and uh, sharing your thoughts with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, look, keep, keep giving them hell up there in Rhode Island and we'll keep giving them hell here. Rolling my <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks a bunch. All right, folks, got to go to break more. Uh, Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. When we come back, don't forget, download our app, folks. It's on all platforms, Apple phone, Android phone, Android TV, Apple TV, Roku's, Amazon Fire Stick, Samsung TV, Xbox as well. You can also join our Bring the Funk fan club where every dollar you give goes to support this show. 
Cash App, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. We'll be right back. supremacy ain't just about hurting black folk. Right. You got to deal with it. It's injustice. It's wrong. I do feel like in this generation, we've got to do more around being intentional and resolving conflict. You and I haven't always agreed. Yeah. But we agree on the big piece. Yeah. Our conflict is not about destruction. Conflict's going to happen. Hey, I'm Donnie Simpson. Hi, I'm Eric Nolan. I'm Shantae Moore. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, a 23-year-old um, Milana Thomas was last seen on December 18th in Decatur, Georgia. Milana is five feet, two inches tall, weighs about 127 pounds, with short black hair and brown eyes. She was last seen wearing a black jacket, black pants, and white and blue shoes. Milana has a tattoo of an uncolored rose on her right forearm and the phrase, until the pieces fit. Anyone with who has any information about Milana Thomas should call the Atlanta Police Department at 404-546-4235, 404-546-4235. Folks, last night uh, we got the sad news that uh, former uh, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid of Nevada passed away at the age of 82, been battling pancreatic cancer and other ailments uh, for quite some time. Uh, he was a shrewd negotiator. He was a tough leader, someone who was not uh, the most um, press-friendly uh, guy, but he was someone who, again, uh, knew how to fight and fight hard against uh, his fellow Republican, Mitch McConnell. They did not like each other. Harry Reid uh, was a boxer uh, in his past, and that was sort of the attitude that he brought when he led the United States Senate. Uh, as he was uh, dying, his wife asked many of uh, his friends and former political 
folks to write letters that she would read to him. This was a letter that President Barack Obama sent to him. Harry, I got the news that the health situation has taken a rough turn and that it's hard to talk on the phone, which, let's face it, is not that big of a change because you never like to talk on the phone anyway. Here's what I want you to know. You were a great leader in the Senate, and early on, you were more generous to me than I had any right to expect. I wouldn't have been president had it not been for your encouragement and support, and I wouldn't have gotten and I wouldn't have got most of what I got done without your skill and determination. Most of all, you've been a good friend. As different as we are, I think we both saw something of ourselves in each other. A couple of outsiders who had defied the odds and knew how to take a punch and cared about the little guy. And you know what we made for a pretty good team. Enjoy your family. And you know you're loved by a lot of people, including me. The world is better because of what you've done. Not bad for a skinny, poor kid from Searchlight. Signed, Barack. Again, folks, uh, so many different people have been expressing uh, their uh, admiration for uh, Senator um, uh, Harry Reid. Uh, Robert and Scott, uh, again, a seminal figure. Uh, some of the most major bills uh, that were passed uh, in Congress um, uh, while President Barack Obama was in office took place under Harry Reid. And frankly, without his leadership and his uh, understanding of the Senate rules, it wouldn't have got done. And I think it's really important, Roland, for us to understand uh, the importance of having a Senate majority leader who knows how to navigate those rules and knows how to bend and change those rules. Remember, Harry Reid is the one who changed the filibuster rule for Supreme Court justices that allowed President Obama to get his justices on the Supreme Court in the first place. And I, I'm hoping that maybe this will inspire Chuck Schumer and, uh, and Joe Biden, who was supposed to be a master of the Senate, to understand the power that they have to actually get things through and get things done. Stop being nice. Stop playing uh, playing patty cake with these people. Take a boxer's mentality to it. The same way Harry Reid did. Hammer these bills through. If Joe Manchin and Christian Sinema don't want to get on board, then you either get them uh, get them on board or you go around them. If you want, uh, if you really want to have a legacy, if you want to craft the type of uh, long-lasting change that President Obama was able to do with the help of Harry Reid, then take on that mentality and force these things through. We have to have more lions in the Senate, as we did at one point in time, and less sheep as we have right now. So I'm hoping this inspires the American people to stand up, fight back against those people who are recalcitrant to, to change and take on that same mentality of Harry Reid of getting things done, no matter the cost. Uh, yeah, Robert, look, 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 I mean, he didn't, he did not, uh, uh, he didn't uh, care about the feelings of Republicans uh, and things along those lines. He was somebody who, who understood uh, the fight, who understood uh, the battle. In fact, uh, I'm going to go ahead. I'm gonna, I want to show you this is one of the videos uh, uh, where uh, you saw, as they say, the pugnaciousness of uh, Senator Harry Reid. You're a bully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the question of, uh, you mentioned judges. In some way, he's going to be sending some DC circuit nominees to the floor within the next couple of weeks. Uh, why won't we be, we be right back here in a couple of weeks? We're not, we're not, we're, we're, this is focused very concisely. We're, judges will do our best to get those done. We need the D.C. Circuit very much. We got one done. But this is not about judges. It's about presidential executive nominees. Senator, just to answer that as well, Senator Grassley said yesterday at the hearing we had on the first of those nominees, we don't need any more judges on the D.C. Circuit. They've already telegraphed they're going to block 
the next three judges on the D.C. Circuit. And we talked that all along, but Presley said it yesterday. Now, that particular point right there uh, is important, um, uh, Scott, uh, because uh, oh, yeah. he did, he yeah, did change the rules. He changed the rules because Republicans were doing all they could to block President Barack Obama. You hear people say now, oh, Harry Reid is the one who did the nuclear option. He said, look, you guys were blocking. There was a, he said, you were blocking a Democratic president, the Democrat, democratically controlled Senate. He said, had no choice. And it goes to show you how Mitch McConnell changes the rules. When Republicans are in power, he's like, hey, we'll change the rules uh, to suit us. So Harry Reid was like, fine, when we're in power, we're going to use power. Exactly. And, and everything that Robert said about Harry Reid mm -hmm. was true. But you have to be fearless with your mm -hmm. power in those positions and in that Senate majority leadership position. And Harry was fearless. He just was. And to use that power and to get it done in the Senate, whether it's the nuclear option or not, he felt very strongly that a Democratic president ought to be able to appoint judges and ought to be able to get the approval through the Senate that the only way we're going to do that is the nuclear option, then so be it. And, and, and if the Republicans want to do it when they're in the majority, shame on us because they should never be in the majority. But if they are, I'll be more than happy to run that risk because we've got to get these Democratic judges uh, not only nominated but approved and get them to the D.C. Circuit. Why did the Republicans not want to support any judges in the D.C. Circuit? It's the most important um, uh, federal district court and federal, federal circuit court in America because it gets all of the cases and all of the litigation that occurs in regard to government's regulation, oversight, the House, the Senate. And so that was a very important decision on his part to get that done. And it it, it, it continued to be done and uh, be illuminated if the other circuits um, around the country. And so just a huge loss, but a leader's leader who was fearless in using his power. We need that back right now. Uh, yeah, it is uh, absolutely needed. Uh, and uh, again, hopefully, uh, Senator Chuck Schumer uh, is looking at uh, all of these different uh, tributes that are coming in uh, for uh, former Majority Leader Senator Harry Reid and saying, you know what, I need to be a hell of a lot tougher um, uh, in terms of what I am doing. Got to go to break. We come back. We're going to talk about a cop kneeling on a black suspect in Mississippi. Uh, it will tell you what the outcome of that is. Before we do that, Scott, what the hell's around your neck? I mean, you can't figure out if you're going to wear a tie or an ascot. What, what the hell? This is my new style. I thought you'd take notice. It is a scarf tied like a tie with an open collar. It's very comfortable. It's very that looks awful. I've gotten a lot of comments on it. That looks, absolute, <laughs> that looks so absolutely pretty. awful. I am a pretty Kappa man. And I know you like it. No, it's it actually, you dress it like a Sigma and you look awful. It's like you, <laughs> it's like you couldn't make up your damn mind. Do I wear a tie? Do I wear an ascot? Do I wear a cravat? It looks... Man, you take know that, you like it. You man, know you take like that, it. Take that damn okay. thing off. Just put a pocket square in. Go open collar. That's that looks awful. <laughs> I'm gonna keep it on now. Let's. You, you gonna mean, throw I, me off the show if I don't? I mean, I, I mean, I was I was sitting here and I was like, the hell? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Yeah, I knew you liked that as an outfit. No, man. no, it's as awful. Alpha, it does not. You like that it, and even your wife Erica is probably texting you saying you look awful. No, I I, I got her approval. She said, "Honey, you look hot. You look hot." We, I guarantee, we know you lying right now. We know you lying right now. That's awful. But she didn't, she didn't say it like that. But she said, it's fine. Let's just go. 
That's what she said. <laughs> That's a damn lie. We know Erica to say nothing. I can't believe you don't like this. I just knew you would pick this style up. You this look awful. Make a decision. Wear a tie <laughs> or an ascot. What, you think I look confused? Yeah, you do. <laughs> Robert, does he look at uh, Look, Robert, in, in, in the Robert, words of the... Don't do it. Don't take it. Don't take in the, the words of the prophet, 3-6 Mafia, they say, take that monkey itch off. You embarrassing us. The saying, Scott. <laughs> God damn, unbelievable. No, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to tell you, that look I've awful. I've all day. I've had this on all day, and I've just been walking around thinking. You know what? Hey, you know what? That 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 means that means you ain't got no friends. <laughs> well, look, you got us to tell you, so it works out. That means you ain't got no. That means you ain't got no friends. In fact, you know what? As I as I as I watched that, uh, all I could think about was that scene uh, from the movie uh, Malcolm X. Where'd you get them goddamn fines you got on and them shoes? <laughs> yeah, but he's putting a hurting on my vision, man. Damn. Yes, you are putting a hurting on my vision. Yes. Did you yes. have that clip Ooh, ready just I'm in case? Ready. Hey, hey, dog, I'm always well, ready. You, I am always ready. This pepper man today, a lot of time. You just mad you ain't come up with this style. You I am always <laughs> ready. I am more than happy to rock the North Carolina AT sweatshirt. Uh go Aggies. Yeah. All right, y'all. Uh, I gotta go to I break. We'll be in black and red and blue and a uh, brown too. That's a damn shame. We'll be back <laughs> on Rolling Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. Folks, Black Star Network is peace. Hold no punches. A real uh, revolutionary right now. <laughs> Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. we have now we have to keep this going the video looks phenomenal see this difference between black star network and black owned media and something like cnn you can't be black owned media and be scared it's time to be smart bring your eyeballs home you dig All right, folks, let's go to uh, Mississippi, where uh, a this is a pretty strange story here, uh, where a uh, Mississippi cop uh, who was kneeling on a black suspect uh, gets to go to anger management classes. Um, yeah. Uh, video showed him pushing a black man down during an arrest and forcefully pressing his knee into the man's back. Watch this. Oh, 
Vicksburg police officer Eddie Colbert attempted to arrest John Dooley after responding to a call about a disturbance uh, early Sunday. Colbert was suspended for 15 days with pay and must take the class when he returns to work. Vicksburg Mayor George Flags Jr. says Colbert's behavior was indefensible but did not rise to the level of firing. Robert? Look, this is exactly why we need federal standards and we need the passage of that George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, because we have to be able to be confident as a country that no matter where you're at, that you're going to be uh, governed by these same set of laws. You should not be uh, jurisdiction by jurisdiction, state by state, city by city, whether or not black people have rights. We do not need to go back to the Green Book days of having to know what cities we can and can't get a knee on our neck from. And if this is not a fireable offense, then what the hell is there? Uh, because I, let's understand, if it wasn't for video evidence, then this would just be swept under the rug, as we've mentioned many times before, that if it wasn't for everything now being videotaped, that black folks effectively still are in the same mm -hmm. position we were uh, in the days of Emmett Till and everything else. So uh, we have to get our Congress to hop on their uh, hop on their horses and actually pass some legislation, because they're going to be right back in our faces this summer and this fall, talking about how important it is to re-elect Democrats in 2022 to protect the House and protect the Senate and this, that, and the other. Yeah. Well, what the hell for if y'all can't protect us because this is still happening every day and for every video like this that we actually see is happening a thousand times that we don't see yeah yeah but they see it as a black issue robert that's the first thing second of all if you look at that video roland and i do this a lot on this show is that that young man was not resisting and the only violent narrative that was being perpetrated and being driven was by the Vicksburg police officer. I think after the, the chief of police saw the video, I think that officer has been suspended without pay, I think, for a week or two and, and still has to go to these anger management classes. But after all we've been through with uh, George Floyd, uh, the police are still using negative uh, and violent tactics to arrest black folks, black men and women who are not being violent back. If you run that video, he's not resisting, and yet he's being yanked, he's been pushed to the ground, he's got a foot on his back, he's got a knee on his back, and it's like the police have learned nothing, and they certainly haven't, but it's just a dumb way of interacting with the public. Because remember, that young man, he's innocent until proven guilty. He's innocent until proven guilty. I don't care whether he gets arrested or not. And so just real, really problematic video uh, that other police departments ought to be using to train their officers but they, they won't. And that's why you have this inconsistent interaction with the police uh, departments and communities around the country. And so Robert's right about the federal piece. But it won't and and Roland, this, this is what I never understand about sending them to these magical classes. So there's a magical class that I can send you to to stop you from beating black people. Why didn't they send him to that first? Shouldn't you before do that before you become him. a cop? Yeah, like, like right, why the hell do you wait until... 
you, you get to beat one black person first and then we send yeah. you to the class. It seems like that should be like from the beginning, if the classes are yeah. effective, that you should learn and be, be continuously educated and reevaluated to remind you every few weeks or few months, please don't go beat no black people. It should be a pretty simple calculus, but until we have federal legislation on this and that you're putting dollars on the line saying that if your police department does not meet federal standards, then we're not going to see that training happen on the local level. Yeah, and the other thing though is if they won't, why not test them before you give them a gun and a bag? Why mm -hmm. don't you test them whether they have racist, racist tendencies and better yet, whether they're willing to carry out their racist tendencies if they are hired as police officers. There are several types of tests, as I understand it from experts I've talked to, that can, can pull that out of, of individuals and they can't be police officers. You don't have a right to be a police officer, <clears throat> first and foremost, and you get this when you hire badly. And so mm -hmm. you want to transform you want to transform police departments, as Ben Crump says, you don't just want to reform the police. Let's talk about this story here out of Florida, where a police chase ending the death of a 13 year old boy uh, who was riding a dirt bike. The family says the, the young man is Stanley Davis Jr. Gas station footage revealed the moment leading up to the deadly chase. The teen lost control while riding a dirt bike on a highway during the chase when he hit a curb, throwing Davis from the bike into a street sign. Uh, the team was pronounced dead at the scene. Police are calling the tra crash an officer-involved traffic homicide. Now, Florida Highway <laughs> officials say the ongoing investigation is underway, and the officer involved will be placed on administrative leave as the investigation continues. One of the things that we've seen, uh, Scott, a lot of places where, where they have told these cops stop chasing people. Uh, we've yeah. seen these car chases that have resulted in the deaths of innocent bystanders, but folks have wrecked into cars as well. Yeah, they they have to beg off in most jurisdictions. If the if the car is if the car is stolen or if they're chasing someone through a neighborhood or downtown area, uh, which covers most of these communities and stuff, the police have to beg off. You got to let them go, hand it off to the next jurisdiction, if you will. And that that didn't happen here. But remember, if they had stopped him and he would have been and he was illegally driving this motor motorcycle or scooter, he would have got a ticket, if you will. But they're chasing him. You saw the video. He leaves the um, he leaves this gas station. They immediately go after him. He's a big kid for 13. He plays football. But they immediately go after him. Well, number one, and they was... give chase. And shortly thereafter, he crashes, if you will. What was so pressing about using that amount of energy and force to stop a kid that's on a computer that may have been driving erratically or not? We'll have to see what the toxicology reports say. But again over policing a simple situation because they're black if he were white or a white woman and they wanted to stop him whether they ran off or not they would not have chased him like that they simply would not have and that's the biggest risk for black people when it comes to the police they don't see us as i say but if they were white they see us and treat us with courtesy and that we're innocent until we're proven guilty, not with black folks. Robert. And just rolling on, on that point, I think there, there's two things that we can, that are instructive here. One, to Scott's point, we have to have more of these anti-chase ordinances taking place because quite frankly, unless you're in hot pursuit of let's say a murderer or a rapist or a bank robber or something along those lines, uh, there's no reason really to chase people That's like right. this anymore. There, there was no exigent situation. But then secondarily, just from a community standard, we have to start uh, as parents and as elders in the community regulating 
emulating and training the, uh, these young people before we give them dirt bikes. If you're in Baltimore, for example, you'll see these roaming groups of uh, young teens on dirt bikes riding through urban areas. The same thing in Atlanta, Chicago, and many other cities where they have not gone through any training courses. All they did is hop on this bike and hit the, the streets and the roads and the highways and the byways. And it creates a very dangerous situation, both for the community mm -hmm. and for the young people involved. So there can be multiple layers of liability and, mul uh, and multiple layers of culpability uh, when it comes to tragedies of this nature. And we need to change behavior on both sides of it. Uh, the police officers don't need to be chasing people. We also don't need to be putting 13-year-olds just out here riding out willy-nilly without the ability to understand the vehicle that they're, uh, that they're in control of. And what happens if he gets away? What happens? Mm -hmm. what five years ahead, later, if he gets away? What does, it, what does it matter if he gets away? This isn't cops and robbers. If they chase, if they don't chase him, right, and he gets away, right, how does how is he a threat to the community? There's got to be some discretion here. There's got to be somebody thinking about, okay, he's running. Am I going to chase him? What are the dangers around me? If he gets away, how am I lo losing my grip on the community as a police officer? How is the community more dangerous? The answer to that is nothing. Nothing happens. He's not a danger, and he just got away. If he's riding that bike in the community, you'll get him again. You'll get him again. But again, no discretionary thinking there, no real leadership on the street. And that's what we need police to be. We need police to be leaders on the street and use their discretion. Wasn't used here. And this kid is dead now in part or large part because he was chased by the police. Speaking of discretion, Valentina Orlana Peralta's parents have hired attorney Ben Crump to represent them. She's a 14 year old girl who was in a department store dressing room, just changing clothes when LAPD officers uh, were pursuing the suspect uh, and then shot at the suspect, but the bullet hit her instead, killing her. Uh, there was a news conference that took place as uh, I in, uh, Los laid Angeles screaming where, uh, for help. Attorney Ben Crump uh, spoke there with her parents. I will read uh, some of the thoughts that her sister and her uh, prepared. Um, my name is Soledad. I am the mother of Valentina. My 14-year-old daughter and I got dropped off by her sister so we could get gifts for Christmas. On the way to the Burlington factory store, we discussed her dreams of becoming an engineer, becoming an American citizen, her making good grades, that she loved her school and she wanted to go to college. Mm. While in the dressing room, we heard commotion and screaming. <laughs> Valentina and I hugged each other. She went and locked the door to try to protect us. Mm. We started hugging each other tighter as more loud noises and commotion was being heard. Eyes closed, we began praying, praying for peace, praying mm. for safety, praying for everybody. Mm. I was praying for my daughter, and I believe she was praying for my safety. Mm all of a sudden we felt an explosion that threw us both to the ground that's when i saw white powder coming out of 
Valentina's body as she started having convulsions. I had no idea she had been shot. Her body went limp. I tried to wake up by shaking her, but she didn't wake up. As I laid screaming for help, the police did not come to help me or my daughter, but I kept screaming. When the police finally came, they took me out of the dressing room and left my daughter laying there. I wanted them to help her, but they just left her laying there alone. We want justice for our angel, our precious little angel, Valentina. This is the thing right here, Robert, uh, we're talking about. I mean, here you have these cops who are pursuing uh, someone and and you're just firing and you end up uh, hitting an innocent bystander. Um, How many times have we seen seen these stories where the cops let, you know, capture the person who committed a heinous crime without actually firing on somebody, dealing a roof, but took the burger king. Uh, now this 14-year-old girl is dead. And look, this part of police training is the weapons are not supposed to be there offensively. They're supposed to be there to defend the officer's lives. So if nobody is shooting at you, you're not supposed to be shooting at anybody. Uh, there, there are far more ways to take somebody into custody. And I think these officers who are armed with AR-15s and uh, full uh, assault gear are going after the suspect, not saying they weren't in a dangerous situation, but there was no reason to be firing at this point in time. So the fact that we still do not have police training in this country that avoids uh, incidents of this nature, the fact that uh, innocent lives have to be lost because of quote-unquote accidents on the part of law enforcement, uh, I think it puts us in a, another situation when we have to look at the need for federal legislation. I know I harp on that, but the things that changed our rights to vote were federal legislation. The thing that got rid of segregated restaurants was federal legislation. The thing that will end this this constant stream of police brutality and over-policing and killings in our communities, in black and brown communities around the country, is going to be federal legislation. So we have to keep impressing and pushing the need uh, going forward to make sure that we reform these things so that this does not continue to happen. Nothing's going to bring back these people who have died. But we, what we can do is change the laws on the books, change our priorities as a nation, change the way that we equip officers uh, so that they are able to bring uh, bring people to justice uh, in a nonviolent way, particularly that avoid quote unquote collateral damage because I don't don't think any of us believe that our children or our brothers, our sisters, uh, our neighbors should be called collateral damage in this situation. Uh this 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 Bro. is really re- this is really a sad story, especially when you look at uh the fact that um the video apparently that's been released shows the suspect or uh, sitting over someone backing away when they begin to fire. Bro, you you gotta be kidding me about this story. They're in a department store chasing someone, probably for shoplifting. He's backing away, and they shoot. They fire on him anyway. Is that the story? What? Yeah. Are you serious? And this little girl, this young lady, is in a in a changing room with her mama, and she gets shot and killed by the LAPD? you got to be kidding. First of all, if they're chasing a nonviolent fleeing felon on the Tennessee v. Garner, they can't use deadly force. 
That's the first thing. But secondly, they can't fire their gun in a department store or in close quarters with other people around. That's not only a violation, that's illegal. That's criminal right there. That really is. Whether you call it manslaughter or what have you. I hope those officers have been put on leave because that is not in the training manual whatsoever. That little girl is supposed to be walking home with her mother back to their car to go home to do her homework. That's just outrageous. I, I can't. That's just, that, there's got to be more to this. And if there's not more to this, that is a damn shame. That is just a damn shame. And Roland, also, uh, many many police departments around the world that are that still carry uh, deadly weapons. Uh, they use what are called frangible bullets, which are compressed plastic bullet, uh, which are still lethal. They are still lethal bullets, but when they hit any object, they shatter. They, they're training bullets. Right. I have some uh, right. downstairs that uh, that we use. We for, know you do uh, at the range. Of course, we do. Uh, we but but the do. whole point is that if we decide to invest in those for police departments, then something like this could have been avoided while still allowing police to have deadly force when necessary. So we have well, to think about exactly what we are doing and exactly what we're trying to achieve. Do we want RoboCop? Do we want G.I. Joe out here in the streets? Or are we actually trying to protect the public and bring people to justice? But beyond the bullets, Robert, we're talking about using deadly mm -hmm. force in close quarters with non-suspects around, a mall, a, a, a department store, people changing in changing rooms. How dangerous can it be to, to try on some clothes at a department store and the mm -hmm. little girl winds up getting shot? That just makes no sense. I, did, the, did the suspect have a gun? Was it a shootout? I don't know. But even with a shootout, the police don't need to have a shootout in the department store. You got to let that guy go. Get him in a way, get him away from people, then you can shoot it out with him. Run him into another part of the store or outside of the mall, right? Do mm -hmm. something, but you cannot put other people at risk. You cannot with deadly force, even in the commission of a crime where you're trying to make an arrest. Again, no discretion, no leadership, and we've got a dead young woman now. That's unbelievable. It's beyond what you're saying, Robert. I agree mm -hmm. with you. No, that is that and rules have just been violated. That's reckless disregard on its face. It's not unbelievable when you talk when we're talking about um the uh LAPD. Uh that's how they roll. Ooh. All right, folks, gotta go to mm. break. We'll be back on Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
revolutionary right now. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. Thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. I love y'all. All momentum we have now. We have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this is the difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? All right, folks, let's talk about this story out of Indiana where uh, a mother threw her child uh, out of uh, the classroom because of so taunting. Gabby Portis, an international school of Indiana student, says she was sent a photo of white, the white hand holding a bouquet of stemmed cotton balls, the caption reading, when you ask a black girl to prom. However, the team claims this isn't the first time she's been subjected, subjected to racial abuse. The mother says the school offered her child counseling. Here's what the head of the school said about the issue. Quote, the International School of Indiana is an inclusive, diverse, and respectful community. ISI does not tolerate racial intolerance or other discriminatory conduct and takes reports of alleged misconduct very seriously. Such reports are investigated promptly and thoroughly in order to gain a complete understanding of what allegedly happened. After investigating, ISI takes firm and appropriate steps to remedy and address any misbehavior. The nature of those steps depend upon the severity of what occurred as ISI's policy is that matters concerning students are confidential. The school is unable to provide details of specific situations. Now, Portis wanted, wanted to complete the remaining year through the school's virtual learning courses until a transfer was finalized. The administration denied the request because the reason was not COVID-related. So I'm just saying a photo, a bouquet of STEM cotton balls. Look, look, Roland, it's funny that he say this isn't pandemic related because black folks have been in a pandemic of racism for <laughs> 400 years in this country. Uh, these, everyone else is just figuring out that it's a pandemic. We've been in this for a long time. And when you're dealing with this level of violence and abuse, uh, right now it starts with just a picture. Then it turns into a noose being left on someone's desk. Then it turns into actual harm and violence against this, in, uh, against this young person. So the school needs to take the appropriate action and let this person leave before it does escalate further because on the other hand what if, uh, what if they decide that they don't feel safe and they want to take things into their own hands uh, it results in harm against these uh, these these uh, young white supremacists in training uh, going forward so the, I think that they have to take these issues for African American students more seriously um, while they're running around trying to stop critical race theory and they want to stop the curriculums in 1619 project how about you work on stopping racism and get that done first before you worry about all these fantasies so they run around chasing. Scott? Victim Scott, you're on mute. No, I'm not. not now, now, now you're good. All right, go. Okay. Why is all the I, I, I think I think it's that damn tie that was talking. No, no, no. <laughs> it's talking well and it feels so comfortable around my neck. Yeah. But why okay. is all the action directed at the victim of racial bullying? They won't let her leave school uh, the other boys, the, the 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 young racists, are in training. As as Robert said, they've been suspended, right? Why did they offer counseling to the victim and not the racist, the young racists? Why aren't they in racial sensitive training? Why aren't they being suspended or thrown out of school or required 
to uh, be counseled in some way or some mediation or something like that. The story may be incomplete, but it seems like the action is focused on this young woman who's uncomfortable as opposed to making these young racists uncomfortable. Because if you look at the statement that you just read or you posted, it talks about they take it very seriously. They want a racially harmonious community of learning, blah, blah, blah. But you can't have that with young white racists using the N-word. You can't have any of that, right? So it's not, she's not driving that negative narrative. The young white racists are driving the negative narrative. And that's where the attention and the pressure point needs to be. Uh, well, that's what it means to be black uh, in America. All right, y'all, got to go to um, uh, a short break. We come back, we're going to talk about the um, new app, uh, Fanbase, which allows you to actually uh, make money with your content, unlike many other platforms. Uh, Isaac Hayes III is the uh, founder of the app. Uh, they have a new crowdfunding round. We'll talk about that and why he's saying stop spending money on a pair of athletic shoes and actually invest in a tech startup. We'll break it all down in our Tech Talk segment brought to you by Verizon. That's next, Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Bishop T.D. Jake. Hi, y'all doing? It's your favorite funny girl, Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. You know how some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it. We upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it, <laughs> slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better cost less than you think. All right, folks, we are firm believers uh, on this show when it comes to uh, African-Americans being involved in technology. And uh, Isaac Hayes III has uh, created an app called Fanbase, uh, which allows for uh, tech creators to be able to uh, create content creators to be able to get paid uh, 
uh, from their fans, that's fan base. And so uh, they have had, uh, they're involved right now in a $2.5 million crowdfunding phase right now. And uh, this is the video that he actually dropped earlier today. Uh, they've only been live about 24 hours. Watch this. Talk about this uh, invested here, uh, but Robert, uh, he's based out of Atlanta. Uh, and, and one of the things that uh, that he keeps uh, saying to people is uh, the need and the desire uh, to actually uh, be, be to, for us to be involved as funders. Because unfortunately, mm -hmm. black people, we're real good at using apps. We're real good at downloading them. But we ain't the ones who get paid from it. Uh, and look, I've actually uh, known Isaac Hayes the third for years, going back to uh, uh, back where I used to work on some music things back in the mid two thousand s. So I'm glad to see him working on this project. And, and quite frankly, let's let's think about think back about a year or so. TikTok was a brand new app that nobody had really heard of. And then during the pandemic, black people started putting dance routines on there that white people picked up on and they went viral. Did any of those black creators get rich off of that? Now TikTok has surpassed Google to be the most popular uh, web application in the world, on the planet, on Earth. That is driven by black people setting these trends and creating this, uh, uh, creating uh, content on these platforms. You can look at black Twitter, for example. How much money is Jack Dorsey getting from the creative creativity of the black hive mind on black Twitter? Uh, why are we putting all this money and all this content on other people's platforms in order to make them rich when we're getting nothing out of it but likes and follows and some shares when we really should be working our way into the billionaire space on a on Mars. And on this point of crowdfunding uh, and, and becoming investors in startups, I think a lot of people don't quite understand how the process works, that a, that a company like Facebook doesn't just appear out of nowhere. They have to go through an initial crowd uh, uh, funding round in order to get off the ground, and then you get your money back by being one of those uh, investors on the ground once you pick the right horse, and that there are angel investors out there who put money all over the place just to make sure that in case it does pop off, that they're in the advantageous uh, situation to be able to take off with it. And once I think we get that mindset, we get that level of education, that we understand the way that money is made in the 21st century, that is when we start moving from just being rich to being wealthy and having generational wealth. As my friend Bruce says, black generational wealth has to be the goal that we're all working towards. And a big portion of that's going to be in that tech space. Uh, Isaac, uh, Isaac uh, joins us right now. Isaac, glad to have you uh, back on the show. Uh, look, I'm one of the folks who invested in a fan base. And one of the things that you did is you made it perfectly clear you were not trying to just uh, go out and get, institu get institutional investors. You wanted regular everyday people uh, to be able to invest. The minimum amount they can invest is 250 bucks. Uh, you posted earlier today, hey, folks, uh, pass up buying that pair of athletic shoes and actually buy uh, shares in a tech company. Yes, indeed. I mean, um, we spend an exorbitant amount of money on a lot of things that uh, we love and enjoy, but um, because of the Jobs Act um, and wiping out that accredited investor rule, it allows people to actually have equity in companies um, that normally you wouldn't have access to. And in the realm of social media, we understand the importance of youth culture and black culture mainly 
but contributes to the, the rise and the growth of these platforms, turning them into multi-billion dollar corporations, but we don't have any equity in them. So that's the reason why um, FanBase exists, why the platform exists. Um, we just launched our second raise on Start Engine. We're raising $2.6 million in a new round. You can go to startengine.com slash fan base and actually have some shares in the company. I encourage everybody to do that. But yeah, it's time to really have equity in infrastructures that we innovate, um, per se, in the black community, especially in youth culture. Okay, now explain um, what a second round uh, of uh, funding um, means. Explain that. That just means it's a second opportunity to invest in the company at a higher, slightly higher valuation. We raised $3.5 million at a $20 million valuation. Since then, Fanbase's user base has grown 1,000%. Our profits are 999%. Um, and so now the valuation of the company is $50 million. You got to think about companies like Facebook that are worth $900 billion, right? They didn't start out at $900 billion companies. A company like Instagram that's worth $200 billion. They didn't start. They started out with half a million dollars in seed capital back in 2010. So you got to understand that the people that got in on that company very, very early are now multimillionaires, if not billionaires, because they got along for the ride very, very early. And once the platform was acquired by Facebook, they saw an opportunity to exit or if they kept their stock and, and then joined along with Facebook, they're very wealthy people now. So that's what you need to consider. Uh, one of the points that I, I, I talked about when we opened this segment is that uh, we are real good at using these apps uh, and making other people successful. I'm going to use example Clubhouse. You and I talk about this all the time. Uh, it was, folks, it was all the, all the rage in 2020. Uh, in nine months from launch, uh, somebody offered them, or I think, around three or four billion dollars. Black folks made the app sexy, they made it hot. Those, and, and those conversations continue to happen on Clubhouse, right? And so from time to time, like, I, again, I think as people learn about Fanbase, which is the only platform, the audio platform currently that allows any user to actually receive revenue from people listening to you talk while you're on stage, um, the opportunity to actually accept revenue, people um, are learning about that. But yeah, Clubhouse went from a, from a company that raised $10 million at a $100 million valuation to a company that has raised in excess of $300 million at a $4 billion valuation in a year. And it mainly came off the conversation, the energy of black people being on the platform. We had Kevin Hart come on the platform to go viral. We had, um, they had a, a 21 Savage go on the platform to go viral. We had Meek Mill Academics, Takashi 69 Youngboy. Youngboy went on, went on Clubhouse maybe about three weeks ago and shot it all the way up to the top of the app store because his fans came on the platform just to hear him speak. And again, Youngboy doesn't have equity in Clubhouse. And so he increased the value of the company just by being there is what we do. We take our, we take our clapbacks to Twitter. We take our dances to TikTok. We take our skits to Instagram. Um, and we take our conversations to Clubhouse and we don't own any of these platforms. And so owning the infrastructure is extremely important, but for every user around the platform, you know, fan, fan base is a black owned tech startup, but it's not black only. We are in 170 countries worldwide. I encourage everybody to make a page and a profile and start posting your content, but monetizing your content at the same time, which is the focus of the platform. So, so walk us through exactly what is on fan base. I mean, so, I mean, what is it? Uh, you can post, I mean, you can post photos, you can post videos. Um, yeah. what, what else can you do? You can post photos and videos. You can go live. The live is monetized. So those hearts that float up on the side 
on IG don't mean anything, but when people tap that love icon on fan base, when you go live, you make half a penny per love. And those loves add up because you're going to like content and love content. We have audio rooms, like I said, like Clubhouse and Twitter spaces. We have long form content up to one hour, like YouTube um, and formerly IGTV that allows you to put long form content behind paywalls. So you, in, in, in essence, are your own Netflix. You can monetize your content and people can subscribe directly to you. Um, and we're building and launching our own version of short form video similar to TikTok and Reels called Flicks coming in January. Um, we're rebuilding stories, which will have the exclusive functionality as well. So you can put your stories behind a paywall too and gain subscribers in that fashion, a new DMs and a new version of direct voice. And we're raising the price of a subscription from $3.99 to $4.99 a month. So that's more money in your pocket as a creator and a user on the platform. So uh, you talked about, uh, so when you talk about the, those audio chat rooms, so Twitter has spaces, Clubhouse, that's what it is. So essentially, uh, versus, uh, I forgot uh, the rapper you mentioned who took all of his fans over to Clubhouse, he did that. Well, I don't, I don't know if he got, even got paid for that. What you're saying is guys like that, they could actually have those same conversations on fan base, bring all their fans over and actually get paid off of those discussions. Yes, and, and with this new version of direct voice that we have, we're opening up exclusive rooms as well. So your subscribers are the only ones that could join the conversation. And so, I mean, you, there's a value to the information that we give. I mean, I don't think that, you know, people that sit on Clubhouse and give away free game all day, it's great. You get, a, you get a following. And I think that's what people buy into the fact that your following is not as important as your fan base. And that's the thing about it. That 5% of people that follow you are those people that will actually pay for the information that you have, pay for your celebrity, pay for your content, no matter what you do. And that's what people focus on. It just takes 50,000 people paying you $2 a month for you to make $1.2 million a year. I know people with two and three million followers that can't pay their bills. Um, so a following is insignificant if you don't have access to that. And on platforms like Instagram, you do not have access to your entire following. They are not going to give you full content visibility because if they did, these brands that pay them for ads would not pay the platform. They would pay you. And that goes against their business model. So they're actually in competition with their users to actually make revenue off the content. Explain that because you, you, you do a lot of videos where you lay that out where you'll show mm -hmm. somebody with a million followers on Instagram and when they go live, uh, they barely get any interaction. I mean, it's just, I mean, I can tell you, um, you know, I've got, uh, let's see here. Uh, if I go to Instagram, you know, I've got, uh, 626,000 followers. If I go live, um, you know, I went live the other day, I think it peaked at 248, which is actually right. a high number. Uh, but the reality is a lot of times you go live, and after about you know five or about five or ten minutes, I think that they may go down to like 105, maybe 100, whatever. So what people don't realize is they're controlling who they're notifying. I, I can tell you that right now. We're live right now uh, on um, Facebook, Instagram. First of all, the Black Star Network, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, and right right now. And, and I've been trust me, I've been slanging and banging with um, uh, with Facebook on this for quite some time. Um, right now, I'm on our Facebook page. Why is it not showing me the numbers right now? Um, I doubt, seriously, uh, Keenan, put it, I, I can't see it right now, but put it in the chat, tell me how many people. It probably, 
we probably uh, do 230, 235 people watching our Facebook page. Well, I got, I got 1.3 million Facebook followers. We know for a fact that our followers are not getting notified when we go live because Keenan, who handles my digital stuff, he doesn't even get a live notification. And he's the one right. who presses the button when we go live. So right. they are purposely suppressing our numbers because they want us to pay Facebook to boost, to pay the boost to people who already follow me. Yeah, let, let me let me give a high level, a high level example of that. Ariana Grande has 280 million followers on Instagram. Um, 5% of her following is 14 million people. At the same time, 14 million people watch Sunday Night Football on NBC every Sunday and brands paid $500,000 for 30 seconds to be in front of 14 million people. What do you think a brand would pay Ariana Grande if she went live and 14, 14 million people showed up to her live and she could talk about their product? They pay her millions of dollars to do that. And so again, uh, Instagram and Facebook don't want the brands to go directly to the users. They want the brands to go to them so they can run ads and make money. So what they tell you is to trick the algorithm, post more content. But what that does is it puts a sea of content that gives them more places to run ads in between and make more money. So they're in competition with their user base because they're never going to, Ariana Grande got 280 million followers. They're not sending out 280 million notifications when she goes live. Because if those people pull up to watch her, she can tell them, buy my album, buy my concert ticket, go buy this product, go see this movie, whatever it is. And that goes against their business model. And so they're definitely not ever going to do anything like that. So on fan base, when you build your fans, so when you go live, fan base notifies all of your followers. Absolutely. Every single time. Yeah. We want that because if you make money, we make money. We want the user to actually make money. Um, we want you to be, we want people to love your guy. I went live on fan base today for like a few minutes and I've gone live and made $230 in less than 30 minutes going live on fan base. And I think that's the difference. Um, it's the ability for users to actually be able to receive revenue. There is no mechanism to freely give money to people, every single user on Instagram or Facebook. Some people have badges, some people don't. If you do something funny, they take away your monetization, they stop you from being able to go live, they do all these things that purposely limit your ability to reach your following. I have 108,000 followers. As a matter of fact, I did an exercise by using the platform for like two weeks, right? And I reached 482,000 accounts in between December 10th and December 16th. And my, my, uh, my reach went up 722%, but also my revenue on Instagram went up 3,516% and I made a whopping 72 cents. <laughs> so they're not even paying you uh, for your, you know, your fair value for the content you create. So well, and, and a lot of people don't, and a lot of people don't understand how these things work. So for instance, I had somebody who just hit me up and, um, you know, people say, they say, Hey, you know, Roland, we like live chatting on your show, uh, you know, on Facebook as well as on YouTube. Well, well, you know, we, we, we're working with Vimeo, uh, for our, um, for our black star network app. They don't actually have, they don't have a live chat function. They have where well, you could post a comment, but like I just got a notification, but it's not live chatting, but and I just told her we're working with them to integrate that because we told them that, that our users like to be able to, to do that chat while the show is live. Uh, and once, and, and once we do that, 
then I'll be taking our show off of Facebook. We make way more money, frankly, well, from Roland Martin Unfiltered on YouTube than we do on Facebook. Uh, but it's a, but it's understanding uh, the pros and cons of the platforms, and you got to make a decision based upon getting your business model uh, in terms of how you use it. And so that's one of the reasons we do that. Let me go to um, uh, Scott, then Robert. Their questions about fan base. Scott, go ahead. Don't have me on. Okay, you, you unmuted me. All right. You know, I, I want to get back to the investor portion because African Americans, young and old, are great consumers. Almost a, sometimes, by some accounts, a billion, sometimes trillions of dollars in consumerism. So there's this culture of consumerism, and yet you make the case that instead of buying these these shoes, you could invest in fan base through this crowdfunding process. And I completely agree with you, uh, but given the culture of consumerism by so many of us in the communities of color, how do you get them to, to, to get really excited about investing in fan base now versus just picking up followers and putting on content and getting kind of the emotional satisfaction of having a lot of followers and putting out good content? Uh, I think it's a tough sell, not because you're not right, but a tough sell because we are so many of us are risk averse and we are just having this culture of consumerism no that's not what it is that uh, issue no it actually is not consumerism or risk averse it's white validation no call it what you want anyway, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, no i'm gonna call it what it is i mean because i'm gonna tell you i mean and i'm gonna tell you i've had people go oh i try to use fan base it had this problem that problem mm-hmm. facebook twitter uh instagram all had glitches Mm-hmm. Yeah, they would they would do updates. Uh, Isaac, you had to explain walk walk people through this here. The reality is, when when it's something that's when they find out if if Isaac probably would be further along if he was if he didn't come out and show that he's black. But there mm-hmm. are people out there, Isaac, rally who go, yeah, man, the brother, his stuff ain't working. And I'm like, but y'all still on on Clubhouse still got glitches. Yeah, yeah. Isaac, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I think the I mean, ice is colder too. They to think answer your question, you have to give them the information. I think the ability to invest in a startup only existed as a non-accredited investor since 2013. So we've only known about this, and then it took a while for platforms like Start Engine to actually become mechanisms that people could invest. And then you show people the value of what people have already been getting as accredited investors for years, for 83 years that you haven't been. So I, I usually tell people all the time that there is an accredited investor that put $5,000 into Uber in 2010. And when it IPO'd in 2019, that $5,000 was worth $24 million. Now, you know how many people I know with 5G that spend $5,000 at a section at a nightclub? Or, you know, they'll spend $5,000 gambling in Vegas. Or right, I was about to say that. <laughs> I was about or to say that. they'll buy lottery tickets, but, but mm-hmm. you, you never have the opportunity to. So to know that there's a platform like Start Engine and a, and a, and a, and a platform like Fanbase that you can go right now and invest in, and you don't have to put $5,000. $250 is a very low threshold to be able to invest in the platform. That is a pair of Jordans, right? You know, my, my phrase that I've been using, like I said, is don't buy shoes, buy shares. And I think you can take one week and say, instead of going and buying a pair of tennis shoes, or instead of going to spend, you know, hitting Ruth Chris and getting steak and wine, and I'm going to chew it up and, and poop it out, I'm going to spend that. <laughs> I'm going to put that and invest that into a startup. And I mean, there are benefits to that because you're creating, we, we can actually literally control 
the value of a startup like Fanbase by simply investing and moving our content there. And secondly, platforms like Instagram and Clubhouse were heavily funded from the beginning. Like the moment that Clubhouse was able to, to actually accept capital, they got $10 million with only about 2,500 users, right? We're well over 100, 160,000 users on Fanbase. Um, and we haven't, I've, I haven't gone to venture capital. I went to the people because I know that the people are the only reason that we're going to be successful as a platform and offer that economic opportunity and the opportunity to invest to them. That's the that's the key. Yeah, yeah, excellent. You know, Robert, Roland, the other thing they'll say. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. The, the other thing they'll say is that, well, Roland, how much money are you making off of it? Or Isaac, how much money are you making off of it? They will count brothers' money, even though they haven't invested in it whatsoever. We got this self-hate thing going on too that we got to fight. But oh, well, look, I man, I, like, I, I, look, I, I had somebody post on Twitter. I got some, I got, I got some fool who was always doing videos about me uh on youtube uh always criticized the time i uh rolling be having vegathons um no because guess what we don't actually and see here's the hilarious part we don't charge anybody for our content the people who the people who join our Brina funk fan club they actually give on their own free volition we don't sit we don't even send hats and t-shirts and jackets and stuff because that's why it costs money the money goes back into the show but Here's the deal that always cracks me up. It's amazing the people who spend their time whining about what I do. I don't watch them. <laughs> I, I don't watch them. I don't talk about them. I don't care what they do. If y'all want to watch them and listen to them, and if they want to showcase their bad lace fronts or they want to hide behind a microphone, go right ahead. I don't care what they do. I'm over here doing my thing. And I think that's the whole deal. We got to get, get out of that as well. And so for the people who say, well, fan base should be this, should be that, this, this is real simple. You could either be real about supporting black owned or you could be, or you could just talk about it. There's a whole bunch of folks fronting. Robert, go ahead. Uh, oh, thank you so much, Roland. So I, I think all of us who have, are in even tangentially in content creation have understood the, the tyranny of the algorithm that basically YouTube changes the formula whenever they feel like it uh, for what actually makes it onto the front page and what things are prioritized. Uh, same thing with Facebook. Now they have content tags and everything else where they can demonetize the video at any given point in time. Uh, how will fan base be different when it comes to allowing more freedom to content creators and not simply prioritizing uh, what they want, when they want, when, uh, for uh, for actual promotion? I, I think first and foremost, the fact is that I don't like the word content creator because every single person on social media is a content creator. It's users. And so the first thing you do is give the ability for every single user on the platform to make money. That's first and foremost. So anybody can monetize on Fanbase. It doesn't matter if it's me, you, whoever. You can sign up today, create a page on Fanbase, engage with the community, start creating content, and charge for it as you should charge for your content. Because again, if you have a following, and I tell this all the time, it's it's the most efficient thing to do is to try to build a business off a of following. You build a business off a of fan base, off a of customer base, right? Yep. If people had to give away their products for free, right? If McDonald's had to give away free hamburgers and French fries until somebody around the country said, these are the best fries and hamburgers in the world and it went viral, they would have never been the company that they are. You have to sell your product from the moment that you put it out. So free is not the way that that works. Now, free is a marketing strategy to convert those people into paid subscribers. And I think an important stat that we that we recognize is 
is that in 2020, 53% of all in-app purchases were recurring. So we are in the subscription era, whether people know it or not. So that's like you subscribe to Netflix and Hulu, you subscribe to Spotify and Apple Music, you subscribe to Microsoft Word, you subscribe to uh, Adobe Premiere Pro, you subscribe to the apps that you edit your photos with. And so the last place that everybody gives away their content for free and are not using the subscription model is social media. Every other media on the planet, mm -hmm. TV, movies, music, uh, content uh, content um, development or organization are all free, but social media is a place where people are not, and they understand that the true economic engine of the platform is the user, right? And so when the user doesn't have an opportunity to monetize, the only person that does is the platform. And I tell people that all the time. I say people, people complain on Clubhouse all the time that Clubhouse doesn't do anything to help the users monetize. I was like, Clubhouse took $300 million. Clubhouse is not trying to figure out how to help you monetize. Clubhouse is trying to figure out how to monetize you. Once mm -hmm. they figure that out, then they can say, now we can offer you the ability to monetize, but they're not gonna give that to everybody because once they figure out their method to monetize, then they have to keep that mechanism going. And that might go against their business model to allow the user to monetize. Um, so that's that's you know that's that's the the long and short of it is we're not going to throttle down your content we're not going to uh, ban people because of of content that they post that that as long as it doesn't go against our guidelines because we're not beholden to advertisers advertisers don't dictate how we run our platform advertisers dictate how Instagram is run how Facebook is run because they can pull their ad dollars at any time that they feel like they don't want anything on the platform that doesn't go against their brand. So they say, turn it down, throttle it down, suppress it, run our ads. And when, when we're done running our ads, you can turn that stuff. We can turn the Black Lives Matter back up. You can turn the LGBTQ back up. You can turn the hip hop back up. But for now, we want our ads to reach the audience that we want them to reach. All right. So you've already raised $150,000. Uh, tell people where they can go uh, to uh, get more information about best investing in fan base. Startengine.com slash fan base. I think we've raised, yeah, a little over $160,000 in 24 hours. We're raising $2.6 million. Um, I would say invest sooner than later because doing great programs like these spikes in investment. Um, and I think that's an opportunity that everybody should take advantage of while the opportunity exists. Once the raise reaches its max, we close and there's no longer an opportunity to invest. If you have time to do so, go to startengine.com slash fan base and grab some shares in an uh, early seeds uh, tech startup that can grow and develop into a, a mega monster of a media uh, company. And you said in, in the first uh, round, uh, the valuation was $20 million. This round, the valuation is $50 million, which means uh, the next one, it could uh, be very well over $100 million. So, uh, fo so folks, uh, uh, go there again. As I said, uh, I'm, I got no problem saying it. Uh, I invested in the last round. Uh, I believe in uh, supporting our own, building our own platforms. That's why we actually did this show. Uh, same thing. We created this tech segment. I appreciate Verizon coming on as a sponsor for us to be able to feature African-Americans who are in the tech space who otherwise couldn't get on Squat Box, couldn't get on Bloomberg and these other networks unless they became billion dollar companies. And so we want to help them get there. Everybody who's watching uh, is 140 is 132 of y'all. It's a perfect example. There are 132 people on Facebook watching right now. And we have one point three million followers on Facebook. 
uh, that shows you how uh, the, the how they, they throttle our numbers. Uh, but again, we've got uh, nearly uh, sixteen hundred on YouTube. We probably got more than a thousand on Black Star Network app right now. Folks, download the fan base app. Uh, follow me. Follow Isaac. Uh, and uh, and I can't wait uh, till uh, as they keep developing it, uh, where we can actually create the RTMP and send our feed over to the fan base app for y'all to watch over there. Isaac, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it, guys. All right, Robert Scott, thank you so very thank you so very much, Scott. Please don't ever wear that neck thing again, ever. I'm gonna wear it again because I want to invest in fan. Well, if you go, you if you gonna wear it, you better invest. wear a scarf that says fan base. Uh, but that crap you got on right now, uh, <laughs> take it off, folks. Uh, that's it. I- I'll see y'all tomorrow, uh, right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Please support us by downloading our app. Uh, our goal is to get fifty thousand downloads by the end of the year. Uh, Keenan, send me a uh, text. Tell me how many pe- how many we're at right now. Um, uh, so P, please download all the platforms, a- Apple phone, I- Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox, Smart, Samsung Smart TV. Also join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, you can uh, send us any amount. Uh, we ask $50 uh, each from our fans for the course of the year, $4.19 a month, 13 cents a day. You can give more, you can give less, all up to you. Uh, Cash app is RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zell rolling at rollingsmartin.com. All right, folks, that's it. I'll see you tomorrow right here. Rolling Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Shout out North Carolina A&T Aggies. I'm repping y'all today. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.